Mighty good. That bad. <laughs> Great. Terrific. Um, I, did you guys have a good time uh, last week at the uh, at the banquet? Yes. Yeah. Um, Sam and uh, Sam and Hannah, best Kenny and Dolly ever. Uh, if you weren't here, you should go look at the video. Better than even better than the real thing. Not gonna lie, pretty awesome. Um, but I, I think that Pete and uh, P. Ray stole the show. Where, Peter, where are you at? Is Peter here yet? No, probably second service. All right. Well, unfortunately, I don't think that's on video, is it? You have it on video. Why is it not on YouTube? No, 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 no. No, you're in the show. It goes on YouTube. Especially the part where Peter's leaning back into Ray. I thought that was just, that was killer. All right. Awesome. Hey, why don't you open up your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 1 this morning. I'm going to read some scripture and uh, jump into something here. Starting at about verse 26, all the way through verse 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. This is the great part. This is what Mary says. She says, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word be to me. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Yeah, great story. Great story. Um, what I want to talk to you about this morning is, I, I want to talk to you about saying yes to God this morning. Um, hopefully what we've been doing the last few weeks is, um, my hope is, I, I really hope that we've been blowing the tinsel off the Christmas story. I guess that'd be one way to say it. Um, these passages have a way of calcifying in our minds and becoming like little precious memory trinkets that we just sit on the mantle or like Norman Rockwell paintings. Um, really they, they become sweet nothings. Um, there, there's something about really familiar pieces of scripture that can become, uh, little pieces of candy, sweet, but really, really not all of that nourishing to us. And we need to move past that. And so that's really what I hope we've been doing for the past few weeks is just kind of blowing that up. Because one of the things that we're actually hopefully seeing is, especially in the Christmas story, is that the Christmas story is the blueprint for how God works. How does God work? He, he works exactly like this. Luke chapter 1, chapter 2, beginning parts of Matthew. This is how God works. 
This is the template for what it looks like when God begins to intersect a human life. When God begins to move in your life, this is what it looks like. It looks like angels coming and things that are impossible happening. And, and this is what it looks like to have your story become intersected with God's story. This is what it looks like when you begin to carry a move of the Spirit. You know, a lot of us in the room have a heart to carry something of God. And a lot of us in the, in the room have a heart to carry a move of the Spirit. We want to, we want to be used in, in, in ways that only God can use us. Well, this is what it looks like. Um, if you understand this story, if you understand the story that the Gospels are presenting to us, particularly the story about how Jesus came and how he was born, you'll actually begin to see your own story a lot clearer. And one of the things I want to get right across to us right away is this, that this isn't just the story of Mary and Joseph, Zechariah and Elizabeth. This is actually our story. This is, this is my story. This is what it looks like to carry a move of the Spirit. This is what it looks like to have your life altered by God. This is what it looks like to have God's Word spoken over your life. This is what it looks like to say yes to God. And here's what we've learned so far in the past few weeks. It sort of turns things right on their end. Uh, What we've learned over the past few weeks is that God is at work in the weak and the powerless. And we've also learned that God is at work on the edges and in the margins. He's at work with the weak and the powerless. And he's at work on the edges and in the margins. Uh, See, here's the deal. The world is fixated on the strong. You and I, this is the truth. We have to admit this at some point. The world is fixated on the strong, the intelligent, and the powerful. We have a fixation with power and influence and money. And all the while, God is at work with the weak, the powerless, and people on the margins. That's the trouble with putting all your confidence in money, power, and influence. The trouble with putting all your confidence in money, power, and influence is you're putting your confidence in an area where God is probably not working. He's at, work, he's at work with the weak. There's nobody in the whole Bible weaker than Mary. She was 16, completely unknown in her own community for the most part. No one trusted her. She wouldn't have even been the most influential person in her own house. And God says, you know what? I'll take a 16-year-old girl. I'll, I'll take the weakest person in the village. That's who I'll start working with. There's no one with less influence in the whole Bible than, than Joseph. I mean, Joseph is an absolute nobody. In fact, if you re- there's one way of reading the story that makes Joseph out to be the most pathetic guy in the whole Bible because, because this impossible thing happens to Mary and Joseph is the one guy who believes her. I mean, everybody in the village thinks that Joseph is the most desperate, pathetic guy in the whole story. Who's, who's God at work with? Well, he's at work with the weak. He's at work out on the margins. And there's a bullet point that we want to add this morning, and it's, it's, it's this, that God is at work with the willing. He's at work with the weak, the powerless, the people with no influence, on, on the margins, on the edges. And the thing we want to add to the story this morning that I want, to, want us to see is that God is at work with the willing. Um, I, I want to show you a connection here between God being at work with the willing and God being at work with the weak and the powerless. Um, there's a really important connection here for us. Uh, rich, powerful, and influential people are not willing. In general, they're not willing. They're especially not willing to work with other people. What do rich, powerful, and influential people want? They want you to work with them. Right? When you're rich and powerful, you don't go work with other people. Other people come and work with you. 
And this is the problem with having a with having a heart that's rich, powerful, and influential, haughty, and arrogant. Those things tend to go together. Is that we become the kind of person who is unwilling to work with anyone else, namely God. However, the weak and the powerless, people with no money and no influence, what are they always doing? If they even have a chance, they're working with someone else. And when God comes around, what do they say? Yes. That's, that's really what we want to. That's what we want to see here. It's the danger that we face every day. To the extent that we become rich, powerful, influential, important, is the extent to which we have to guard our hearts against becoming the kind of person who only wants other people to work with us, and even begins to put that worldview and that expectation upon God. God, I've got all these plans. I'd love you to come and get involved in them. God never comes and gets involved in plans. He invites people to come and get involved in His plan. Always. This is how the kingdom of heaven works. So God is at work with the willing. And one of the things I love about the story that the Bible offers us is that, um, that beyond the fact that Mary and Joseph were not powerful, they were not rich, they were not influential, they were clearly weak, they were clearly on the margins, is this. They were just living their lives. They were just totally living their lives, going about the things that they would have been doing. They were just two high school sweethearts looking to get married, Joseph was a carpenter. Mary was at home cooking meals and maybe watering her father's sheep. Mary was looking at wedding dresses and Joseph was trying to buy a ring. Mary was fighting with her sisters and Joseph was planning his honeymoon. Mary was learning Joseph's sense of humor and Joseph was hoping to get a kiss before the wedding. And in the middle of the wedding plans, right in the middle of the wedding plans, there was regular work and there were family events. There was Sunday supper and maybe a trip to Jerusalem for shopping or, or a nice dinner. And then, bam, something that no one could have experienced or expected or anticipated happened. Angelic encounter, angelic dream, things that no one had planned, things that no one could even conceive of. This is what I love about the story the most. So Mary's doing her thing. Joseph's doing her thing. They're beginning to intersect. They're beginning to make plans on on having a union. And right in the middle of it, God becomes, he comes alongside and he begins to do something that no one in the whole story had planned at all. I love that. It's so random. No one planned it. No one on earth anyway. And if someone had planned it, they clearly would have chosen more powerful and more deserving people than Mary Mary and Joseph. See, here's the thing. Here's the main difference between you and I and God. Um, If you and I were going to do something awesome like this, if you and I had the powers that God had, we would most likely choose more deserving people. And God always works right around that. God's planning stuff all the time. He planned this and he's planning stuff all the time. Stuff that no one has even the capacity to think of, let alone believe. And that that capacity to plan things and to work things out and to do things that no one is thinking of is called sovereignty. He's the Lord. He's the author and he's the architect. And I really want to get in on this just for a second this morning. He's the Alpha and he's the Omega. Um, The reason I want to bring it up is because here at the Vineyard, we're, we're, we're... we're about the furthest thing from being Calvinist that you can get. We're, we're really not Calvinist. And, and, and I won't even go into that necessarily. Uh, I'll just say this. Uh, here at the Vineyard, we tend to see the world in terms of human agreement with God and partnership and human choice. But make no mistake, you can go too far that direction. You can go, that to, you can go too far in that direction. Um, God is the initiator of everything. God's the initiator of anything good and right. 
He's the author. He's the planner. And he's always planning and showing up where no one thought he would, with people no one thought he would use, because that's just how he rolls. Uh, See, he holds the universe in his hands. And this is why I love this story so much. Because there is a certain aspect of of the activity of God in the earth that doesn't have to start with me. You really need to hear this this morning. It'll set some people in the room free. There's a certain amount of God's activity in the earth that doesn't start with you. I don't care what you've heard. I don't care what prayer meeting you've been to. I don't care what you've prayed. It doesn't even start with you. You couldn't even have the idea to pray the prayer that you think started the thing unless God gave you the prayer. He's the initiator. Like, we can go too far with this stuff. We need a little bit of, we need a little bit of injection of sovereignty back into our thinking, into our hearts. Because he's the author. He's, he's, he's the... He's the He's making this thing. I need you to say with this. I need you to say this with me this morning. It's in my notes, so I need you to say this with me. <laughs> say this with me. I don't have to have the plan. I don't have to have the plan. You need to know that. You don't have to have the plan. I don't have to have the plan because he has the plan. Like he has plans and he can come and give you a plan when you're just living your life trying to get married that you could never think of and you would never imagine and it could change your whole life. Like some of us are freaking out because we're hoping to have a great life and the whole time God is trying to whisper something that could change your life, but we can't hear it because we're trying to think of something that could be awesome. There's so much anxiety in the church about having a great life and doing something powerful and change the world when really all you need to do is go to work, do something normal, and let him come in and intersect it. I'm telling you, this is, this is the truth. Like, just live a normal life and let him disrupt it. He always does. He never leaves anyone out. This is who he is, okay? You really need to get this. There's a certain aspect of... God's activity that doesn't start with me. It isn't up to me. I don't have to have the plans. The plans all come from Him, and the plans start with Him. There's a freedom in that. I See, I feel better already. <laughs> Live your life. Love God. Read your Bible. Work your job. Plan your wedding, and know this, that the salvation of the world doesn't depend on you. I know you've heard preachers tell you that, that you know, the next thing depends on you, and I'm here to tell you it doesn't. It really, really doesn't. I know you've been to, I know you've been to prayer meetings where the guy up front was like working the room and trying to get you convinced that the next like move of God in the earth was dependent on you. I'm here to tell you it doesn't depend on you. Because if it depends on you or if it depends on me, it'll never happen. It'll just never happen. See, he's the Alpha and the Omega. And if it starts with him, you can be assured of this. He'll finish it. If he alphas it, he'll Omega it. But if it starts with me, it'll most likely end with me. If it starts with him, you won't be able to ruin it, even if you try, even if you screw up along the way. This is, this is where the real freedom is. If it starts with him, you can't stop it. If it starts with you, you probably can't finish it. Dang it, right? See, if he starts it, there's nothing that can stop it. He started something. He invites Peter in. Peter says yes. And then Peter screws up over and over again. He, deci- he denies the Lord. And at one point says, hell no, I don't know him. And it didn't matter. That's awesome. Peter denies Jesus. Third time denies him with cussing. And can't stop it. Peter quits being a disciple and goes back to fishing. 
And Jesus comes and gets him and says, oh, why don't you come back into the thing you said yes to? Because I'm not going to let you ruin it. And then later on, after Peter has like a really successful apostolic ministry, whatever that is. (laughs) I'm apostolic, bro. (laughs) Peter starts acting different around different people. Like. He starts, like, around one friend group, he's one way, and then around another friend group, he starts acting another way. And he becomes a total hypocrite. And guess what? Doesn't matter. Kingdom keeps expanding. Kingdom keeps going. The thing that God started with Peter is the thing that God finished with Peter, and Peter ends up being crucified just like the Lord Jesus. Couldn't stop it. There's a certain amount of what God's doing that really is up to him and so mary's just living her life and joseph is just living his life and then god comes with a plan and an invitation yeah you know, here's what i know i know that some of us in the room are all keyed up we got plans <laughs> and with the plans we got a lot of pressure uh the, the really the big thing i'd like to say to you this morning is just let go of the plans and let go of the pressure live your life your normal life is filled with god Like your normal life is filled with God. Eating eating with your family is filled with God. I I got something for you. This will wreck your theology. I've been loving this one lately. Okay, so blind guy. Blind guy who gets, gets healed in the Gospel of John. The one that like creates a big stink like Jesus has to go to court about that guy what did blind guy do after blind guy got his sight back oh he he went home and he ate and he got a job maybe found a wife raised some kids and lived this really normal life then lame guy gets raised up and lame guy goes back to work makes a living eats with the kids tucks his kids in at night kisses his wife Raises a few dogs. I don't know. What does is, what is lame guy do? He just lives his life, right? Well, what's the point? What, what, the point is this. What is God raising people back up into? Life. And it's good. It's really good. Like your normal life is good. So you can let go of some of the plans and the pressure and you can live your life. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't have dreams and I'm not saying don't have goals. I'm just saying we should stop playing God for a minute because there are things which require his initiative and his invitation. Some of us are trying to get God to come and be a part of our plan. We should hold up for just a minute. We should take a break. We should get God's plan and his invitation and we should go with that. And by the way, I want to say something else about God's sovereignty. It isn't some muckety-muck general chicken soup without the salt dill either. It isn't a few details here and there with most of the sharpness rubbed out. Some of us have a picture of God's sovereignty that's a lot like a Monet painting. Looks good from a distance, but up close it's sort of a mess. It's not like that at all. God's, God's sovereignty is full of details. I want to show you from the scripture. Can we put that first one back up? Verse 26. Look at all the details here in just a few verses. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent a specific angel, Gabriel, to a specific town, Nazareth, in Galilee, to a virgin who is married, who's to be married to a man named Joseph, 
a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and he had a hello. Like God's sovereignty isn't just like, oh, you know, a few big deals. God's sovereignty isn't everything's going to work out in the end. And until we get there, who the heck knows what's going to happen? That's not God's. It's pretty specific. See, when God begins to work his plan and alter the course of human history, he doesn't leave out any of the details. The details are what make it personal. The details are what grounded in a place. It wasn't just anywhere. It was in Nazareth. With these two teenagers who had names. And it was a certain time of year. And they were about to be married. And one of the ways that you know that God is intersecting your life is when there becomes a certain volume and a certain quantity and a certain specificity to the whole thing. Like this is how you know that God is beginning to weave into your life. When there becomes a certain amount of activity, a certain quantity, and when it starts to get real ding-dang specific. Because that's when God is really getting his point across to you. I'll tell you a story. Uh, this happened to me this summer. So God wanted to deal with me on something. It was actually a word of correction from the Lord. But this is how you know the Lord's dealing with you. It wasn't general. It was highly specific. He wanted to deal with me on something. So I didn't know that he wanted to deal with me on anything. I was just living my life. Eating with my family. Going to work. Sweating in the vineyard. And I'm driving down the driveway one morning. And I'm headed, I'm headed into town just to go make the deposit and do my normal deal. And before I get to the end of the driveway, I hear this voice on the inside. It wasn't external audible, it was internal audible. But it was the voice of the Spirit. And after you know the voice of the Spirit, you know the voice of the Spirit. And it said something to me that I didn't like. This is what the voice of the Spirit said. He said, Adam, you're Jonah and you're about to be swallowed by a well. Well, I, I pushed that out of my brain as quickly as I could, and I just went to work, and I did my best to forget that. Okay? Adam, you're Jonah, and you're about to be swallowed by a well. Not what you want to hear. I always love that for the audio archive. Anyway, what some of you don't know is, I've had a really great couple years and at the same time, I've had probably the hardest two years of my life in some other areas. Just inside, like working through some really hard stuff. Um, I don't even know how to have, I don't even know how to have, I don't even know how to put words to it. Other than just hectic. Okay, so I get this word from the Lord. I don't tell anyone because I don't like it. Have you ever noticed that? If you get something you really like, you'll tell everybody. If you get something you don't like, you bottle that junk up bro I'm not telling anyone I don't tell anyone I don't tell anyone a few nights later kids are watching a movie Heather and I are laying on, on the bed with Rowan and I'm just telling her a couple of the things I'm struggling with and I'm I'm just like babe I don't know I'm I'm hurting in this spot and I you know and I'm just sharing a few things with her and um, and she said well Adam can I tell you something? I'm like, well, yeah, of course you can tell me something. She goes, this is not great. <laughs> and I go, okay, I don't care. I don't, if it's from you, I don't care even if it's not great. She goes, I had a dream the other night, and I, and I told myself I wasn't going to tell you, but I'm going to tell you. 
And I said, okay, what's the dream? She said, I had a dream the other night, and the Lord came to me in my dream and said, Adam's Jonah, and he's about to be swallowed by a well. She said, I didn't want to tell you because I knew it was a terrible word. I'm like, whoa. And we spent the next hour talking about what Adam is Jonah and he's about to be swallowed by a well could mean. And we got a bit of insight, just the kind of insight that comes from actually getting things out in the open and talking. And while we're talking, we're just, we're laying on top of the bed and you always do. I'm just being on top of the sheets and I got cold and I just reached down and I grabbed this little blanket and I put it on me. And it was one of those little baby blankets, you know, you know, the little like two and a half by two and a half square ones that really cover nothing. And I put it right over my chest and I'm under it like this. And it's covering, it's just covering my core like this. And we begin to talk a little more. Neither one of us are really paying any attention. And about three quarters of the way through this conversation, Heather looks over at me and she says, oh my goodness, look at what you covered yourself up in. And I look down and there's a blanket on me and it's covered in hundreds of whales. There's a certain quantity, there's a certain quality, and there's a certain specificity that begins to happen when God begins to intersect your life. You're just living your life, and God begins to say something, and He'll say it over and over in all kinds of ways. I don't tell anyone. I mean, I'm telling you, I I had told Heather, and I went about three days, and I didn't tell anyone, and then I just sort of popped. I couldn't stand it anymore. And I told Justin, and I told Hannah, and I called my best friend Eric in Charlotte. And I said, Eric, y'all got to pray for me. I'm about to get swallowed by a whale, and I'm, I'm trying my best not to go into the belly of this sucker. Okay? Ultimately, what this is about is I had an anger issue concerning something. Okay? Just like Jonah. And I'm working through it. Okay. So anyway, I'm telling Eric. I call him on the phone. I said, Eric, hey, the Lord has told me really specifically in super bright contrast terms three different times this week that I'm Jonah. I'm about to be swallowed by a whale. And uh, I just need you to pray for me, okay? Like, I don't know what else to do. You're my friend. Don't tell anyone. I need your help. And he's like, are you kidding me? I said, what do you mean? He says, ask me where I'm going. I said, okay, I'll play along. Where are you going, Eric? He said, well, I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to QCC. That's their church. He said, I'm going to QCC. I'm going to the kids' wing. And I'm supposed to go paint a mural of Jonah being swallowed by a whale. <laughs> he's the initiator like you can't make this stuff happen you just have to say yes God has a way and he has a language that we all know and understand and and here's what I want to get to this morning that when God the architect the planner the Alpha and the Omega comes to your life and he intersects it with an invitation you should say yes Greatness in the kingdom is associated with a couple things in particular. Uh, The first thing that greatness in the kingdom is associated with is service. Jesus says that the first are last. And that if you'll be the last, then you'll get to be the first. But Jesus also connects greatness in the kingdom with with something else. And it's it's very similar. It's faithfulness. There's a great reward for the faithful. God is not calling anyone in this room to be successful. He's calling everybody in the room to be faithful. And faithful equals success in the kingdom. 
uh, for people who say yes and then keep on saying yes, there's a great reward. Like God, God does faithfulness stuff that doesn't even make sense. He tells parables in the Gospels that in some ways don't even make sense. In Luke chapter 19, he tells the parable of the minas. Do you guys remember that one? Okay, so th- I'll give you this, this short Cliff's Notes version of the parable of the minas. Here it is. Uh, a guy is going to go away. He's got a kingdom, and he leaves some money with some servants. And when he comes back, he says, what have you guys done with my money? And one guy says, well, I took your minas, and I got ten more minas. And, uh, and, the, and the ruler says, well, you've been faithful with a little bit. Now here, be in charge of ten cities. A little bit of money ruling ten cities. It's unbelievable. Especially when you connect it to other eschatological sayings of Jesus, like in Matthew chapter 25. Do you guys remember those parables he tells? Foolish and wise virgins. But then that, the last one is sheep and goats, right? You know, he takes the sheep, he says, come on into my kingdom. He takes the goats, says, you know, get out of my kingdom. And, and who are the sheep? Well, the sheep are the ones who give a cup of water, a little bit of food, clothe the naked, visit the sick, and visit the people who are in prison. And, and the, the sheep say, well, when did, we, when did we do that? And he says, well, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. So what's the point? The point is Jesus is saying, I'm willing to, I'm willing to invest eternal significance into really small acts of faithfulness. God, God attaches like eternal weight into really small acts of faithfulness. That's stunning. Like if you handle a few things well here now, you could be charged of cities later. I don't know if it's actual cities or something else. I actually think it is actual cities. Okay? But it's like something really big. You go give a cup of water to a guy who doesn't have any water. Like Jesus is like, come on in. You did it to me. Eternal significance. Really small things. Faithfulness is huge in the kingdom. Huge in the kingdom. The reason I bring it up is because some of us in the room, we get around other saints and we feel condemned as though we should be doing more. This is so common. Especially in a world where Christianity is put out there and marketed the way it is. There's a YouTube video for everything. And by the way, I'm really blessed by the YouTube videos of the stuff that Christians do. I mean, like, I'm not beating that up. So understand that, right? But we live in this world where everything can be marketed, videoed, filmed, where every act of kindness has a camera running behind it. Okay? Where every revival is being streamed. Blah, 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 blah. And and actually, I get touched by all of that. I'm not mad at any of that. But one of the things that can happen is, is that this spirit of comparison can come over us and we can see a few people who seem to be doing really, really well while the lights are on. And then we, we feel just completely condemned and we get overrun with this thought of, I should be doing more. I'm telling you that thought's from the devil. You, you probably shouldn't be doing more. The only thing you should be doing is the things that he invites you into. Nothing more, nothing less. Jesus is only going to judge anyone this, in this room based upon the things he invited you into and your willingness to say yes or no to those things that he invited you into. He's inviting some people into some really like, really 
like upfront sort of things that seem to be big. And he's inviting others of us into some really small, like what seemed to be hidden. Okay, no, small and big here are not the right words, but it's all I've got. Because Jesus is attaching really eternal weight to small things. So we just, we can't miss that. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like some of us literally, we literally watch a, a YouTube video of somebody preaching somewhere or, or, you know, digging wells in Africa, and we feel condemned like we should be doing more. I'm telling you, we need to let go of that. The only thing that you're responsible for are the things that God invites you into. That's it. Like, if God invites you to carry the baby Jesus in your womb, you should say yes. And if He doesn't, you shouldn't feel condemned because you don't have Him. Okay? Listen. This is really important. He's the initiator. It's His plan. It's His story. I'm only responsible to the degree that He comes and invites me in. And by the way, He's inviting everybody in this room in in some fashion and in some way. But I'm not responsible for Dusty's invitation. And Dusty isn't responsible for mine. And Tiffany doesn't have to feel condemned because she's not doing what Lori does. Like, that just is bonkers. Okay? But it's all over this room. And if you really want to fill it, just go to a big conference somewhere. The room is is half filled with hope and the other half filled with condemnation. So some of us get around other saints and we feel as though we should be doing more. Others of us feel like we need need to start figuring out ways to be more extreme. This is another thing that's happening in the body of Jesus right now. We're trying to invent more ways to be even more extreme. Um, I'm here to tell you that that Jesus is trying to invent more ways for you to just do what he says. (laughs) You don't have to invent extreme, like this extreme, like everything is extreme. Even deodorant is extreme these days. Have you noticed that? Everything is extreme. Like we can't, there's no room for anything normal. Like, and all we're doing is we're creating an environment where we hate our everyday life, looking for an extreme that really doesn't exist. You know, I mean, gosh, You know, I mean, you can't put a product on your body that doesn't say extreme on it anymore. I was in the shower the other day and I noticed that all four, all four man products in the, in the, in the shower had some derivative of the word extreme on them. Yeah, it's ridiculous. The only thing that you or I are responsible for are to say yes when he calls, no matter what, no matter what. And especially if it's small. I really want you to pay attention to this part now, okay? Especially if it's small. Um, Some of us have actually said no to the Lord, not because He asked us something too big, but because He asked us something too small. We, We would go around the world, but not across the street. I'm convinced, I'm convinced that people most often say no to the Lord because He asked them something too small. See, God's always planning, and He's always working His plan, and He's always inviting And he most often gets rejected because the request was too small. I'm here to tell you this morning, you need to lean into the small requests of God. Because in the kingdom, small things grow. Remember, a little tiny bit of yeast works its way all the way through the dough. Smallest seed in the garden becomes biggest plant in the garden. Jesus came as a little tiny baby who grew up to be a man who's never going to die. See, we seriously undervalued small. And we can also trust him because he's the smartest person in the universe. He sees the beginning from the end, and we don't. We can let go of our vision and wait for his. If there's anything I'd say to this church uh, in the coming year, I would love for us to let go of our own personal visions and begin to say, God, would you give me a vision? 
Like, just wait for him. He'll give you. He's always talking. He'll wait for you. He'll come to you. And know this, that when he comes, and he will, no matter how small or how big the invite is, he's only inviting us into a portion of the plan. No one in the room is going to get the whole thing. Nobody's going to get the whole thing. Uh, Let's say the Lord comes to you and invites you into something really, really huge. Mary, I'm going to give you the Son of God, and it's going to change your life forever. Uh, It's going to be one of the biggest things, maybe the biggest thing that I've ever done in human history. And even Mary didn't get the whole thing. Right? Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were part of this story, and they got another part, right? And if it wasn't for what they got, what Mary got wouldn't happen. Right? No one's going to get the whole thing. So if God gives you something really huge, be happy, but don't be proud and don't think that you've got the whole thing. A lot of times what happens is people get something from God and it's, it's that old deal of uh, once you've got a hammer, everything's a nail, right? No, 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 wait just a minute. There's probably somebody in the family who's got something that's strategic for you and that you're going to need. Uh, there's people in this room who've gotten all kinds of stuff from God and uh, one of the reasons that God has brought this group of people together is because he's given another part of what you have to someone else in the room. And usually it's somebody you don't like. <laughs> Not always, but a lot of times. It's you, half the time at least. What we get is not the whole thing. It's not the whole story. Now that I'm 35, I can honestly tell you that I hardly know anything that God's up to. When I was, when I was 20, I knew all kinds of stuff. I was a lot smarter then. Now that I'm 35, I hardly know anything he's doing. I get little bits and pieces. Keep my ear to the ground. I find out that he's doing other little bits and pieces over here and over there. I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. That's amazing. One of the things we need to keep in mind is that God is always doing more than we know. He's probably doing some serious stuff with people that we're already connected to. That's why being connected in the church is so important. If God gives you something, do not disconnect from the church. Because if you get disconnected from the church, it's like Mary getting disconnected from Elizabeth and Zacharias. Like, you can't do it, okay? So if God gives you something really important, like work through offense, work through disappointment, like go to counseling, do something. Don't disconnect because you're going to need it. It's a family thing. Not only that, but it also increases our joy. I love that part in the gospel story where Mary goes in to see Elizabeth and then John the Baptist, what? He leaps for joy. The connection, the family connection that happens in church with what God is doing in everybody actually increases the joy. And if you'll stay connected, then we can learn the story from one another and it just increases the laughter. I can honestly tell you that, that part of the joy is not just hearing what God has said to me, but it's actually in hearing what he said to you. It increases the joy. Some of us in the room feel disqualified for all sorts of reasons, and we feel like we can't say yes. And um, I just want to say, right now, as the pastor of the church, that's ridiculous. Nobody in here is disqualified. If God is choosing you, if he's offering something out to you, 
then that's all the qualification you need. God's choosing his team. Uh, you guys remember maybe when you were in elementary or middle school, they would like divide teams up, right? Two captains, and then the captains would pick their teams, right? And there's a certain amount of validation or invalidation that comes from being chosen first or last. Well, here's what I want to tell you. God's a captain. And if he chooses you, that's all the validation you need. Like, it doesn't matter what else you've done in your life. That's all, that's all the validation you need. Like, that's it. He knows who the good players are. God, God really does know who the good players are. And he's actually the one person in the whole universe who knows what's really possible. So if he's inviting and if he's choosing, you should say yes, because choose, his choosing is all the validation that any of, you, any of us in the room actually need. I also want to say that this doesn't mean that there isn't room for questions. Um, when you read the Christmas story really closely, one of the things you see is that almost everybody that, that God comes to and invites into the story has questions. Uh, Zacharias has questions, and uh, Mary ends up having questions as well. It's okay to have questions. Uh, it's okay to, to say, God, my heart is yes, but I don't understand this. Can I ask, can I ask a few questions? Um, it's, okay to, it's okay to struggle there. Uh, there's a degree to which that's normal. When we're living our lives and, and, and then God intersects with an invitation, there's often a bit of wrestling. I've become a proponent of wrestling with God. And by the way, wrestling is totally different than all-out unbelief. It's a different thing. Don't let false concepts in your mind push that in a category that it doesn't belong in. Wrestling is totally different than all-out unbelief. Wrestling and questions mean that we are actually engaged with God. This is why wrestling is okay. Because in wrestling, you've you, you got a hold of Him. You might be fighting with Him on something, but you're at least engaged with Him. Engage with Him. God would rather have you grab a hold of Him and try to pin Him down on something than turn loose and run away. See, when we don't get it all, Instead of letting go, we should grab on. We should dig in with questions. And we should plead for answers. And we should hang on for dear life. That kind of engagement is also where we find out how unspeakably strong God is. One of the things we find out is that He's stronger than we are. And that becomes a basis for greater faith. Like when you wrestle with God, one of the things you're going to find out really quick, you can grab a hold of him, you can try to pin him down, and one of the things you're going to find out really quick is that he's stronger than you. And then one of the unexpected things that happens is, because you find out that he's stronger than you, this invisible faith that you didn't even know you had begins to grow. You realize, i got a hold of something that's way bigger than me. I can put some confidence there. When God comes to you, He's going to ask some things of you. Say yes, and in the places it's difficult, don't disengage. Grab on, ask questions, dig in, try to pin Him down, go for that next thing, tell Him the thing that bothers you, engage, 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 and let His strength overtake you. God's not afraid of wrestlers.
So when he comes, you should say yes. And then after you say yes, you should, see, you should keep saying yes. Over and over and over and over. Success in the kingdom is people who have heard and said yes. That's success in the kingdom. Amen? Amen. Hey, um, I do have one bit of ministry I want to, I want to get to this morning, and it's, it's a little bit out of the story. Um, in the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth, we have God coming to some old people and doing some stuff that they had lost hope on, right? I love this. It's coming to the old people and doing some stuff they'd lost hope on. But then when God comes to Mary and Joseph, it's coming to young people and doing some things they never imagined. You will oftentimes hear, depending on what kind of conference you're going to, that God is either only going to do things with young people or that he's only going to do things with old people, like right before they die. And I'm here to tell you, he's into both, okay? And there's a really good chance uh, that God is, is speaking to uh, some people in the room, some people who are old, uh, especially about dreams that you just gave up on, like the John the Baptist dream that you had in your life, the thing that you prayed for and you just gave up on. And he wants to reinvigorate that and he wants to reinitiate you. But then there's also something about that God really does come to teenagers, it's, it's really not a joke. I mean, the reason that people at conferences make such a big deal about, you know, the young generation is because God really is at work there. There's something, be, there's something about being 15, 16, 17, 18, and being super vulnerable to God. It, because it's real. Like, God is really good with 18 and unders. He's really good with 18 and unders. Um, it's, it's that 45-year-old successful person who's best at shutting him out. I'll just be honest with you, okay? He's really good at working with those two, but you got to want to work with him. And one of the things I feel like God wants to do today is I think he wants to touch people who have, who have heard something and, and just let it go and, you know, we just sort of resigned ourselves to, okay, whatever. And then also to, there's probably just some young teenagers in the room um, or even 20-somethings and you've just heard something from God and you don't even know what to do. And, and we just want to pray for you this morning, and we want to—we just want to invite Holy Spirit encouragement on your life, so that you can, so that you can more fully say yes. If that makes sense, it's a really big deal. We just want to say yes, and then keep saying yes. Is that okay? Yeah. Uh, whoever the ministry team is this morning, why don't you come on up? Mm-hmm. Well, let's, let's just do this. This might be fun. Um, anybody in the room? Anybody in the room feel like a, a, a bit of a an Elizabeth and a Zachariah? Feel like you got a, a dream that you just sort of let go of, and you, and you need prayer this morning? If, if that's you, why don't you just stand up? We're just as the whole church. We're going to pray for you. Anybody in the room? I know that means you have to stand up, but it's good. Anybody? All right. There's power here for that. If that's you, come on up after the meeting, okay? Uh, likewise, if the Lord has told you something when you were a young kid, or if you are a young kid and the Lord's inviting you in something, we want you to come up this morning. We want to pray for you. I know that for me, that the Lord most profoundly worked in my life when I was probably between 16 and 19. 
some of the most profound things that ever happened to me were right there. Mary and Joseph stuff. All right, why don't you stand up? I want to pray for you this morning.